for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is April 20th, 2021, and today's guest is public land hunter Jake Bush from Ohio. Welcome back to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today is episode 157. And like I said earlier, it is with Jake Bush, public land hunter, diehard public land hunter from Ohio. And uh, we get into a lot of good content on this podcast. This podcast is probably top three I've ever done, and it just goes to the fact of the knowledge that Jake drops in this episode. There is so much in this episode, it'll make your head explode. And yes, Jake is a diehard uh, public land hunter, but I feel like a lot of private land guys can take a lot from this as well. Jake killed a giant, giant buck early October in Ohio on public land a few years back, and it's all on YouTube. Uh, on his page on YouTube and we get into like what that page is, but he gets into specifically how he killed this deer. I mean, it was like 90 some degrees, I think that day or like midday, early October, I'm talking like first week of October. And, um, he did it by hunting the deer in his bed. So that's all I'm going to say with it. I'm just going to do a precursor on that. It's not, this isn't just a success story today. We talk a ton of tactic ways he likes to hunt hill country and big woods, um, and it's really cool. So with that being said, I, I wanted to kind of transition from there to some housekeeping things that I we've got going on at Hume Animal. And uh, I want to remind you guys to go to IamHumeAnimal.com and go check out all the stories and everything we're doing over there. And right now, we launched a new partnership yesterday with Leupold Optics. So... I'm super excited about this. We are now partnered with Leupold. And to go with that, we are doing a big giveaway right now. I mean, this giveaway with Leupold is like valued at over like $1,700. I was going to say $170,000. I wish it was, but uh, $1,700. I mean, there's a ton of stuff in this giveaway. And how you guys enter is I'm going to put a description in this podcast and or you can go to uh, I am humanable.com, the homepage right at the top. There's a giveaway tab. Click on that and enter to win that package. It's really cool. So don't forget to do that. I think that was, oh, also um, last week, Casey and Cody and I went down to Illinois to our farm and we spent two days on the farm with Jason Snavely from Drop Tine Seed Company. Now, Jason is a wildlife biologist and 
completely had my mind blown with the amount of stuff I learned from Jason in two days. This is the first time I've ever been a part of a, a property consult and we did it for two days, filmed it. It's awesome. It's going to go in our, our story with our Illinois story. So I can't wait to like get all that stuff out there with you guys, but check out what Jason's doing. Jason, he owns Drop Tide Seed Company and he's got his own podcast. It's called Drop Tide Podcast, I believe. I should probably know that right off right off hand. Um, but go check out his podcast and there's a lot of cool information on there and he's very knowledgeable, really knowledgeable. And uh, he's just got some unique ways of the of how he does things, and I love it. He kind of goes against the grain of like what everybody else does, and I love that. Um, go there, check it out, and actually, we are going to be housing the Drop Time Podcast on the Humanimal website as well. So if you guys want to get more of that information and everything that he's doing with the podcast, you can go to IamHumanimal.com where you can find the Humanimal podcast and you can find the fall podcast as well, but the drop time podcast will be there as well. So a lot of as wells and a lot of podcasts right there. I'm probably sending everybody for a loop, but um, it's all right there. All you gotta do is just go to IamHumanimal.com. Can't even talk, but uh, I, I wanted to keep this short and sweet. It's a little longer than I wanted it to be, but there it is. I mean, that's the housekeeping stuff. Like I said, we're going to get over this interview that I did with Jake, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Jake did have a, a couple audio issues on his end. He's got very pretty shoddy service, but, I mean, it, and all in all, it's it's awesome. I mean, there's a lot of info in this, and sorry if you didn't pick up on one thing. Maybe the audio kind of cut out or something, but it didn't happen a ton, but a couple times in here it does, so just want to preempt that, but... Lastly, thank you everybody for the support. Thank you for all the downloads. Remember, go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and put a little written review in there. I appreciate that. So thank you guys very much, and uh, here's this interview with Jake. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast, and today I've got a New Yorker. I'm going to call you a New Yorker. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. Turned Ohio, Ohioan, Ohio Buckeye. Are you a Buckeyes fan? <laughs> Ooh, no way. Okay, Not good, good. You and I will get along <laughs> just fine then. <laughs> no, but uh, Jake Bush, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you carving out some time to, to do this. You know, I reached out to you not too long ago and and uh, I actually talked to a mutual friend of yours and I's, uh, Byron Horton, about you and got a little bit of background, a little more in-depth look of that I wouldn't know. And it's going to work perfect to, for what I want to talk about. And basically what he told me is your bread and butter is early season killing giant bucks in the early season. So I'm I'm stoked, man. I can't wait to get into this. Yeah, I'm fired up. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, cool, man. Before I guess we do get started, I do it with everybody. Kind of give a brief bio of you, who you are, where you're from, and maybe even hit on why you moved from New York to Ohio. Yeah, yep. I'm uh, I'm Jake Bush. I am originally from southwestern New York. I grew up around hunting and fishing, grew up with uh, my grandpa, my dad, my brothers. That's pretty much all we did. And Early on, it was really small game hunting and a lot of fishing, but that evolved to whitetail hunting. And as soon as I had a tag in my pocket, it just it became a full-blown passion. I, I eat, sleep, and breathe whitetails 365 days a year. I have for a long time. And uh, now it's just a matter of trying to get on the biggest bucks I can and trying to take them out as quickly as I can so I, <laughs> yeah. I can travel around a little bit, which is what I'm trying to get more into. I want to be a better rut hunter and I want to travel out of state a little bit more. So I really try to be efficient in the first you know, week to two weeks of season. And I basically scout and set up my entire year based on that. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, I'm a whitetail nut like all you guys probably are and just doing the exact same thing pretty much. That's cool, man. Now, what was the reason for you moving from New York to Ohio? So the, the reason 100% was to chase bigger bucks. So you know, I, I got to the point where I was consistently killing three and four year old bucks in New York pretty much every year early in season. And I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I, a, a three year old buck in New York is roughly going to be anywhere from 110 to 120 inches. And I was just, I wanted to move into that upper echelon. I see all these Midwest guys killing these giant bucks. And I was like, you know what, I really want to go chase these giant bucks on public land. And so I applied to a couple different states. I applied to Ohio, Iowa, and Wisconsin for jobs. And it came down to 
what job offer I got that would give me the most amount of time to scout and hunt and put myself in that position that I wanted to be in. I got the offer. It was 12 hour night shift. And I was like, you know what? I have a week where I only work two days that week. That gives me five days to get out there and just go after it. And, uh, that's what started it, man. That was pretty much the, the journey. <laughs> that's crazy. That is pure dedication. That is, you moved from the state you grew up in to chase bigger bucks in a different state. You don't hear of a lot of people, hunters doing that really. And then you take it a step further and then you figure out what job will allow you to hunt more. So that's, that's elite level there, I would say. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, kind of basing your whole life around whitetails, but when it all works out, you know, then you're, then the rest of your life kind of catches up the way it should and yep. you're just in the position you want to be in. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. For sure. And honestly, I feel like, you know, I'll be 34 here. Well, this will air after I turn 34, but we're recording on April 2nd. So in a couple of days I'll turn 34. And honestly, you know, I got a three and a half year old daughter and things seemed like it was easier in my twenties. You know what I mean? You could get out and hunt whenever you wanted every morning, every night, all day, if you wanted. But now it's like, like you said, you try to think more methodically and try to set yourself up for early season. I find myself trying to do that as well. Like, okay, I know I have a certain amount of day stretch in October to be able to hunt because of family and, and other things, job related things. And it's like, you kind of like, that's kind of your Super Bowl. You, you know, it's not like you're not hunting all the rest of the year, but this is the time, you know, you can make it happen. So you're going to put all the time and effort into doing it for that time. Is that kind of what I'm picking up with you? Yeah. 100%. That's, that's you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that you figure out, I, I guess, let me go back. What, what made you want to be the most efficient early season? I guess, what was that first thing? Like, man, I want to get in right away and get after him. Like, what was that thought process like? So it was kind of accidental growing up. I was just, I've always been obsessed with whitetails. And, you know, while a lot of people were out partying in the summer times in high school, I used to take my grandpa's old Sony Handycam and I would go sit in a tree on a field edge in New York and film velvet bucks. And I would film almost every night and I would end up finding that a lot of these deer were really patternable right up to the season starter. And you know, obviously I'm, I'm hunting at this point. So I would, I would be able to pattern them and kill them very quickly. And they were, they were bigger deer than most people in the area were taking. And so there was something to that, you know, I was like, I can kill a bigger deer than a lot of these people do during the rut. If I, if I pattern them early season and target them. And I just kind of basically stumbled upon it as a kid. And it's, it's just evolved to where I, I specifically target that all year now. I mean, it, it wasn't like I didn't wake up one day and, and really say, Hey, I'm going to do this. It's just always been that way for me. I've always been a terrible rut hunter when I have a tag. And I, I don't know if that was growing up in an area with a high deer density. So they didn't travel as much and they didn't, there wasn't as much rut activity or what, but I've just always, my sightings of mature bucks is 10 times what it is during the rut early season. I mean, my, it's just crazy for me. Yeah. That is really cool though, to see, you know, to see, like you said, I do the same thing. We film in the, in the summer and see these bucks and everything, but there's a shift that happens, you know, and usually, I don't know when, when did New York season start? Was it October 1st? Yeah, it was, it was the 15th when I was a teen and then they changed it to the first, which helped a lot. Okay. So, okay. So it was October 15th was the starter before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that's, that, drastically changes the game. I mean, 15 days before, like I always say like, man, if, if Michigan could start their season September 20th, it would be ridiculous, you know, uh, because I feel like that shift always happens around the 25th of September. Or so it seems like you got deer patterned bucks patterned up until like the 25th for me, you know, you see them, but they're on camera in daylight. And then once the 25th, it's, it's like, they are gone. Now, when does that shift happen for you? And even now, like, I, does it happen at all? Or is it like, do you get, you know, maybe October 1st and 2nd, and then it's like, okay, if I don't get it done these first two days, it's probably not going to happen? Or like, how does that work out? So not necessarily for me. And I, if so, if I have a destination food source and I have cameras on that, I 100% see a shift to later movement as, you know, like right around the last week of September, 
into October. I'll see that shift where they start coming to the food source right at dark. But all of my focus all year is based on within being, you know, anywhere from 60 to 150 yards away from that bed. And so that close to the bed, I really don't see a whole lot of shift because I'm, I'm in a position where I'm going to see that deer stand up out of his bed the majority of the time, or at least hear him stand up. So I, I, I have a lot more activity really throughout October. Honestly, I would say my prime is first week and then all the way through the end of October until like November 2nd down here. November 2nd, the deer take off and they start rutting from what I've seen. Okay. But that whole, that whole month of October, at, you know, I'll have encounters with really big deer that, that whole month if I'm hunting that month. Okay. So you're getting like stupid aggressive then. I mean, you're getting into his bedroom technically. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's really aggressive. I mean, the majority of the time I'll, what I, what I normally tend to do is I'll have so many deer pinned down. I have the ability to mess up and then just shift to another buck if possible. Okay. That's, uh, that's really the biggest game plan I have. So when you're going into this, I guess to, to set the stage for everybody listening, are you, you're, you're public land hunting exclusively? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Yep. Exclusively public land down here. And I, the last couple seasons, I really haven't had a distance in mind, but now I'm trying to stay within like an hour distance. So we'll say like a 150 mile radius, anything within that is fair game. Okay. Okay. That's kind of where I'm drawing the line, 100 miles, 150 miles. Okay, and it, and you're hunting like big woods stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's all mainly big woods. It's it's big hill country for the most part. Okay, that that makes total sense, and it paints a really good picture because when to go back and when you said you have, you know, a lot of a lot of bucks pinpointed, so you can get aggressive. Now, how many bucks on a given year average, if you want to say, like, do you have? like higher odds, I guess you would say, you know, you're going in there that you're either going to see or kill like going into October. So I, it's, I have like last year going into season, I scouted just a ton and I pinned down a bunch of beds, bunch of food sources. I found community scrapes, which we'll get a little bit to later, but I pinned down all those things cameras in there and glass. And I took inventory of roughly 15 deer that were in that 150 plus range. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, I get, so now really pinned down probably about five of those. I was extremely confident in, and it actually took me a little longer to fill my tag this year. Um, a couple different reasons. I did screw up on a giant, the fourth sit, which was terrible. I screwed up on him, but normally I'm really close to one of those bucks. Normally if I find them, I already have the beds located or I wouldn't even be in that area. And I have that food source and I can dive in and get really close to them. Okay. That makes sense. So now you're, you're scouting. I mean, your scouting is more important than your hunting, correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm a, I, I scout a hundred times more than I hunt. Okay. So when you're doing your scout, like when, first of all, when are you doing the majority of your scouting to figure out where these beds are? So the most important scouting for me is going to be winter scouting slash spring scouting. And then as, as far as boots on the ground, and then obviously I'm just trying to get inventory of the areas I've already put boots on the ground throughout the summertime. So as far as spring scouting goes, like we're in right now, I'm, you know, getting on X, I'm finding these leeward ridges that have, some sort of bench on them or have some sort of private food source nearby. And I'm, I'm getting up on these ridges and trying to locate all the beds I can locate sign. I'm trying to dump off the ridges on the trails and find hub scrapes in the bottom, which is, you know, if you have a ridge that has multiple points that jut out down in that bottom, more times than not, you're going to have a big like community scrape because all the different deer bedded are going to want to scent check each other. And that's, that's what I'm looking for to put my cameras on. And then that just progresses throughout the season into, like I said before, just inventory at that point. And I basically have it all dialed after that. Okay. So when you're finding beds, let's say you're scouting, you come up on a bed, what makes you think that like, this is a buck bed for one, but it is a mature buck bed for two, or are you just like, well, it's a solitary bed. 
you know, it's it's got the lookings of a buck bed and it's just something I'm going to have to try out when I get into hunting. Like, how does that work? So it's, it's all going to be location-based. So I'll take a ridge that's secluded. You know, it's hard for hunters to access it. Today, we had to walk across a couple of trees, across the creek to even get up in the ridges. So this morning we were out and we did the same thing. And what I'm, what I'm looking for is the best bedding area of that system. So I'll walk the whole system and I'll have a bunch of pins already marked on Onyx. And what I'm trying to do is really just locate what ones are the thickest, what ones have good sign. You know, a lot of, a lot of times you will find a rub in the bed, but it, it really comes down to the most mature bucks in most cases are bedding in similar areas. So they're betting on like the little points that jut out and have like a military crest underneath them where they have a good thermal pull up. They have the wind at their back. A lot of times you'll find good sign along those. You'll find scrapes. I'm really looking for tracks. If I can find big tracks, if I can find, if I can get down inside the bed and pull the leaves up and see that there's hair there from like in the different layers of leaves, I know it's used all year round. That's a big thing. And a lot of times you'll find uh, satellite bedding in those areas as well, but you'll find like that one bed that's really worn down. And normally that's going to be the most mature buck that has that bed. He kind of, he kind of owns that area. Okay. And so that's, that's kind of how I filter my way through a lot of these less mature bucks as well. So basically it's got to be in a thick area. It's got to be secluded and you know, it's got to have, does it have to have, you know, hair in it from seasons on, like, like it's got to have layers of hair in it. Is that, if that makes sense? I really like to find that. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one of the biggest things is if, you know, if he's a four five, six year old deer that I'm chasing, chances are he's, he's filtered down his bedding areas to like a few specific locations that he really likes. He knows they're secure. He has the advantage. Maybe he's evaded hunters in that spot before coyotes, whatever it might be. A lot of times that I find those beds that are just hammered like that, it is a really big mature buck doing it. Okay. Okay. Now, have you, have you found any, you know, any, I don't know what you would call it. If you're finding buck beds with rubs in them and ones without rubs in them, is there any correlation to like maybe maturity or age? If that, if, you know, if there's a rub in it or not. I, I personally don't look at it like that. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on rubs besides just verification. Something. If I find a rub in a bed, it's like, okay, it's definitely a buck bed. Okay. Verified a buck bed, but I really don't go too far with the, the rub thing. What's more important to me is, is foot tracks. If you can find a big track, I mean, that's the end game. Also bed size. A lot of times the size of the bed really gives it away. You know, yep. you'll, you'll find a lot of beds that you could kind of lay down in and then you'll find those really giant beds. And that's, that's the ones that are really beat down. The ones that have big tracks and they're really obvious that it's a really mature buck. Okay. Now, is there a certain size of bed or track that you're kind of looking for that you're like, okay, no, this is, this is an area I got to spend some time in. Yeah, 100%. So if I can get down in the bed and it's really bigger than I would like, if I kind of curl up in it, if it's, you know, a foot or two bigger than me, I know that's a really big, long deer. As far as tracks go, four finger track looking for, um, Southern Ohio has a ton of mature deer. So it seems like if you get in the right spots on these ridges, you can find a lot of those too, which, yeah, which helps out a lot. I think the density of mature bucks down here is really good. Okay. Yep. And that makes sense also because I'm going to try to equate it to here in Michigan. If you find a four finger track here in Michigan, it's probably something that's pretty damn big. You know, it's our mature deer numbers aren't like what they are in Southern Ohio. So like you're probably in an area where you need to spend some time. I'm going to guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So going on, so let, let's, let's take it, you know, you're, you're scouting, you find a bed, it, it, it marks all the, your checks all the boxes that you're looking for. Now, what is your next thought process? Are you looking up in the trees? Are you trying to figure out where a tree is that you can put a stand in? Like, what is your thought process after you found what you're looking for? And you're like, I got to figure out how to hunt him now. So I find the bed and I want to see what advantages he has immediately. So I'll always get down inside of the bed and I'll see without cover, how far can that deer see, you know, what kind of sunlight hits that ridge? Like how, 
how strong of a thermal pull can I estimate in that spot? Um, another big one is what direction is he taking to get out of his bed? Follow tracks, follow, you know, a rub line. If there is a rub line, where's the first scrape he's hitting? It, it almost never fails. If I find these areas with a lot of big beds, there's going to be a hub scrape. That hub scrape is super important because a lot of times you can kill them on that scrape early season, but the intel on camera inventory is, is probably the best spot you're going to have anywhere in there. And then I try to find the destination food source. So I'll have, a, what's his end goal for the night? Where's he trying to get to? And then on the way to the destination food source, what's the first food source he's going to come to? Is it a lone oak tree on an oak flat? Is it a briar patch that he's milling on? And try to put those pieces together. And then really whatever is whatever's the closest to that point to his bed is what I'm going to target. Okay. Okay, that makes total sense, though. And when you break it down that way, I feel like it's easier to consume. You know, if you find a bed and then you find a hub scrape, that could be you know, station number one. And then what's the next food source that could be station number two. And then the destination, which in a lot of times, like you said, destination, he might be getting there at last light. And that's where I think a lot of guys start. If am I wrong? Like you think even me, I think early seasons, like get on the food source, but you might be getting him the last 10 minutes of light. If that. No, that's exactly it. And a lot of times, I mean, a lot of my food sources, they're not actually making it to the destination until an hour hour and a half after dark you know some of these big hill country bucks travel a mile mile and a half to get to that destination food source at night yeah and they're only moving you know one to 200 yards in the daylight where you can shoot them and that last mile is junk sure now you find the bed and you and you find a hub scrape now i guess how are you keeping inventory on these bucks or even figuring out what deer's in there if you're not just so you can check if you're not wasting your time are you putting your camera on that hub scrape yeah 100 percent. camera goes on the hub scrape it goes up high and if it's if it's a really good area which generally i'm i'm focused on you know i have i already have all my boxes checked i have everything that i'm looking for in a spot nine times out of ten it holds a mature buck already it's there's going to be a mature buck there but then it's a matter of, you know, how big is he and how many of them are there? Is there one? Is there, I have one spot where there's four or five bucks a year that are shooters in this one half mile hub. So that's, that's going to be key for sure. Okay. Now, if, if you put a camera there, is it a cell cam first or is it a camera you have to check? They're all going to be cameras. I have to actually go in there and check. Okay. Now when you, let's say you put a camera on this hub scrape. What if all your pictures are after dark? Does that discourage you at all? Or is that just like, okay, I got to keep digging farther, deeper to see where he's at? It really depends on how far away the hub scrape is from the bedding. Because in a lot of these, you know, let's, you have a ridge that runs north to south and you have two points that jut out and they're, let's say, 300 yards apart from each other. And then in the center of those ridges and down in the creek would be the hub. If that scrape is, you know, two or 300 yards from the bed, it would make sense that he might not be making it there in daylight, especially closer to that October mark. And I'll also have cameras on those first food sources we were talking about. So I'll find the bed, I'll put cameras on those food sources, and then I'll put cameras on that hub scrape and try to pinpoint exactly how he's getting to that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. That makes total sense. How far do you think a deer in early October, a mature buck, is actually moving from his bed on average, you know, when he gets up out of his bed? I would say max would be probably 100 to 150 yards. And that's that's in daylight, I'm talking, like before in, it gets dark. Yeah, that's in shooting light. I really, if I don't, for me, if I'm not, if I'm not within 150 yards of that deer, I, I'm out of the game. I'm not even going to be set up there. I have to be within 150 yards. Wow, that's crazy. That's so cool. I love this conversation. I'm getting deep now. <laughs> I love this is just a new way of thinking, honestly. And this is the elite level right here because I know the bucks that you've killed. I mean, if anybody wants to see the bucks that Jake's killed, go to, go to his Instagram. He's killed some giants doing this. Um, so have you ever seen the what i guess you'd call it the secondary foods do you call like you know you go scrape and then do you have a uh 
the first food source, what would, you know, could be uh, oak tree, like you said, is that your secondary yeah. or your primary food um, for the destination? Or would your destination be the primary food? How do you equate would, that? Yeah, I would say destination is going to be the primary food source. And then the secondary is just going to be the first food source he hits pretty much. Okay. That's that's the way that I've always kind of just set it in my head. Okay. So what if you find a bed, checks all the boxes, no hub scrape, is that a deal breaker? Or, you know, if you're, if you find a secondary food source within 150 yards or so, is that what you're going to pinpoint instead? Yes, 100%. And that's exactly it. And then another thing that you can add on to that is if you don't have a hub scrape, a lot of times I'll try to look for terrain features as well. So if he's bedded on like a bench of a hillside, chances are there's going to be a cut somewhere in that hill as well that he's going to work his way around. And that's a great spot for a camera too. Just anything to give you the advantage to try to get the most inventory possible. Okay. How many cameras are you typically putting in an area like that just to pinpoint where his entry and exit is possibly to that bed? So that's shifted a little bit. used to be, I used to only run one to two cameras in those hubs like that. And one would be on the food source, the, that first food source we were talking about, and one would be on the hub. But I listened to a couple podcasts and I've been thinking about it a little bit more. And I think I can dial it in a little further than that. Um, Steve Shirk actually turn me on to this idea where you find that that bed that hammered bed and he'll put like five cameras around that bed so every exit trail he'll put a camera on to determine what direction that buck's traveling the most you know what what trail is he coming in on what trail is he exiting more often than not and that's how he really dials it in and i think i'm going to start doing a little more of that it makes a lot of sense to me in my head yeah it definitely does so these, these really good areas, you know, I'm going to take, my goal is to have three primary areas that hold multiple bucks that are in the class I want to shoot. And I'm going to throw anywhere from five to eight cameras in each of those. And then I'll have another five to 10 spots that are betting locations that have the things that I need that I'm just going to throw a camera to in to kind of get seasonal in, intel. You know, what, what caliber buck is there? When are they using it the most? All the all those different things that you look for. Okay. Now, that makes total sense also. A lot of guys might not have that luxury of having that many cameras. So if you're that guy, are you just playing process of elimination of like what is the most beat down path or most concentrated deer sign in an area going in and out of this spot? Is that kind of the process you're going to take? Yeah. you The, the cameras are, are really luxury. And what it really comes down to is pick your best area. You know, if it has that hub scrape, figure out what beds they're on, come into the hub scrape, find the trail, find the big tracks, find that first food source, and try to set up on the kill. You know, it's going to be more shot in the dark as far as what buck is in there. But if you put all those, there's a buck there, there's a mature buck there. It's just, it's really a matter of the camera. The only purpose of the cameras in those hub scrapes and areas like that is really just the inventory. You get the inventory of them. The cameras that are like extra and additional are the ones to try to catch those travel routes more often, but that's not needed at all. I mean, okay. I've killed a ton of bucks without having that. Okay. Now let's go to hub scrapes. What is what is something? What is a scrape you look up on, or you you walk up on, and you're like, "Wow, this is a hub scrape 100%." Like, what are those things that you should be looking for that you know might just blurred out i'm a hub scrape you know what i mean like what does that process look like so i think the biggest one of the biggest factors for a hub scrape is having multiple mature bucks in an area so it's all going to start with bedding again you're going to want to have a ridge or a series of ridges that has just multiple good bedding locations on it for different winds as well so you know in southern ohio a lot of these ridges don't necessarily follow like a north south or an east west you'll have You'll have certain areas where you'll have a ridge dump down. You'll have like five ridges dump into like a wagon wheel. Chances are there's good bedding at some point on all those ridges, and they all have bedding that sets up for a specific wind somewhere. And those deer will go down to that bottom and hit the hub scrape. So the scrape is going to have a licking branch. It's going to be a lot more dug down into the dirt. You know, it's not going to be your traditional just like leaves are scraped out of it. It's going to be dug into the ground a little bit. Yep. And a lot of times you will have like a signpost rub on that tree. 
that's one thing that I look for as well. But okay. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. Normally, they're a little bit bigger. The the licking branches are are the biggest thing, hands down. If it doesn't have a licking branch, I don't even look at it. Okay, that's that's good information there too. Now, you're in. I know I know the type of area you're in. We have a lease in Ohio that's very hilly. You know, southern Ohio. I know what that's all about. Now, are these hub scrapes? majority of the time for you in the bottoms yes but i have found them up on uh like flats before so if you have if you have a ridge system in ohio and really anywhere if you have a ridge system and then you'll have like different flats so different levels of that ridge a lot of times i do find those hub scrapes like off the point of a major ridge system where it's like four or five ridges meet and then they would funnel down like the last 100 feet or 200 feet into a bottom. So it comes to like a point. If there's a flat there, a lot of times I'll find a hub scrape right there as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be down in the bottom. Okay. Why do you think they are lower though? I mean, usually in like hill country, why Why do they? Why do you feel like they're lower? Is that any more, is the wind better for every scenario or like how does that work? So I think the reason that mature bucks want to congregate low at night is really because the thermals are dropping. So you have during the daytime, they're bedding high because they have their sight advantage, elevation advantage, and they have that thermal pole, which is huge for them. And at night when everything cools off and all those thermals start dropping down, those hubs become a collection point of scent. So anything up on those ridges, all of those deer bedding, any people up there, anything, start swirling down in those hubs. And if you've ever hunted a hub, you'll, I mean, you know, when the deer start moving, the wind starts swirling in them because the thermals are dropping back down. Okay. And the, the deer know that the mature bucks wait for that and they start feeling that thermal, the thermals drop back. And that's when they start diving down into those hubs. But I think it, it holds scent better. It holds sign better. It's a place for them to congregate. I think all of that factors into it. Okay. Yeah. And so let's say you, you know, hypothetically, you find a hub scrape in the bottom and you know this is where you have to set up to kill this deer uh, on this scrape. How are you setting up in a bottom like this? And I know this is very situational and a very broad question, but you know, like you even said, and I've hunted some bottoms like this where when the thermals are pulling down in the evening, it can just be like a a, a swirl tank down there. You know what I mean? It could be like a pool drain where the the wind could be hitting each ridge and just and going around and round and round. Like how are you combating that with the scent? So there's there's two options. There's two different things that I do. And it really comes down to what kind of land you have and how aggressive you want to be because the the first option, which is my favorite, is to get in between that hub scrape and when the deer and where the deer's bedded and actually get up on the ridge that he's bedded on. So I I already have like the specific bed and the specific point of the ridge that I think that he's on. And I'll actually go like halfway up that ridge. That way, when he starts coming down, my thermals are dropping as well. Sure. You got to, you got to be careful with that though, because if your thermals are still pulling up when you set up, he's got you. So you got to have like that just off wind, but there you're taking a chance because if the buck comes off any of the other ridges around, if he's bedded on any of those other ridges for any reason, he came down the wrong ridge and he wind he winded you down in the bottom because you're up on the side of the hill. Yep. So it, it only works if you really have a buck dialed. And then the other option is to so generally you'll have a hub, but you'll still have like a creek drainage, right? So I hunt leeward ridges that are north south ridges that have the points jutting out to the east nine times out of ten. That's my bread and butter. So Nine times out of 10, there's also a creek in that bottom that's running like towards the east. It's running from west to east. So I'll, are you still there? Yep. Yep. I'm here. All right. Perfect. So I'll wait for a westerly wind. And when the wind's blowing from the west, it's actually down in the bottom. You'll still get a decent like prevailing wind out of that, out of that hub basically. Okay. As long as the wind is in the perfect line with that ditch. Now, if you have the wind coming in at like a south or a southwest and that creek goes to the west, you're going to get a terrible swirl in there. Okay. So you can kind of, you can kind of cheat it. And that's when you'd want to hunt downwind of that hub scrape a little bit. It's also situational. It really, it really depends on it. But those are the two different things that I really pay attention to. Man, I'll tell you. Sorry, I, I didn't lose you there. I was just so ingrained in what you were saying, like trying to picture it all and put it in my head. And I'm like, this is good stuff. Like, so 
if I was hearing you right, if you have that creek or, I mean, does it have to be a creek? Could it be another, uh, you know, topographical feature? But if it's going the same way, like if it's, if, if the ridge that you're hunting is, is heading east and let's say you have another like secondary ridge heading east, would that work as well too? Or does it have to be kind of a creek situation? No, that would work the exact same way. That pretty much sets up the same way. Okay. Now to take it a step further, what you're saying is if it's, if you have that feature, whatever that is, is heading the same direction. Like if it's east, then where you're sitting, you're going to be probably good. But if it's more of like a south facer or, you know, if it's jutting out to the south, the wind's going to be a little more unpredictable. Is that correct? 100%. Yes. And you could take, you know, that same situation and just 360 degrees for whatever wind you have. Okay. You could, you know, for south wind, it would set up the same way, but it'd be, it'd be north facing. Okay. Like you'd have a north running creek or a north running, you know, something. So when you go into something like that, now I know you probably have a lot of areas that you just religiously now go back to and you know they work for you. But if you're going into a new area, are you looking for features like that that are running same, the same direction? You know, I love secondary ridges, to be honest with you, um, in that kind of scenario. But are you looking for features that are going the same direction? Because that's something I've never really even thought of. Yeah, 100%. That's that's exactly so. I have, like I was telling you before, like the checklist, right? Like, is it leeward? Is it hard to access? Does it have a destination food source? Does it have cover? I'm, I'm checking all these things off. Does it have a creek that runs in it either to the east or to like the northeast? That way I can get that prevailing wind blowing through it. If it has all those things, I check it on a map. And, you know, I have spots I could go kill a buck right now this fall. But I'm trying to find as many of those locations that set up the exact same way to go scout to just try to keep stacking up my odds. Okay. Yep. That makes total sense. Man, you, you're just, you're dialed. You are dialed. And I can't stress enough, like, how much you're scouting to get this way. Like, your prep work has to be, like, to a T dialed 100% for you to go in this and for yeah, it to work. Right. Exactly. You have to be... And, and that's where, you know, I've kind of got a bad case of OCD. It, it really, everything has to be perfect. You have to have everything dialed in. But if you can figure it out, you're going to be on big bucks really consistently early season. Okay, so I want to go back to the beds now. If you find a bed, what is, like, your distance from that bed? I know it's very situational, but I'm trying to get, like, you know, the... <laughs> Like what is, what is your distance that you want to be that as close as you'll get to that bed? So I, I just, my only, my only concern at all is I don't want that buck to see me access. I don't want him to smell me and I don't want him to hear me. Re, that's, that's all that matters to me. So if it's an extremely thick area, there's a very good chance I'm within 50 yards. If it's a little more open, I'm going to be in that 80 to a hundred and if it's a spot where you can't get within 200 yards because it's wide open timber and he's bedded on top, I'm not even going to touch that spot. I'm, I'm, I'm only focusing on these exact areas that, like we were talking about before, set up perfect. So, you know, I killed my 186 two years ago down here. I was like 75 yards from his bed. It took me just under three hours to actually set up on that deer. Holy cow. That's crazy. So now let's let's run through that story a little bit. Like, how how did you figure out where he was and what did that scenario kind of play out like so I, I moved down here in june and so it was really summer scouting i had no previous intel of ohio at all so i i dove into what i've always had success with in new york was the, the hub features i tried to find hub features i scouted a ton of land i put on like 400 miles that summer scouting boots on the ground and dialed in these spots that I thought were pretty good while well, I was scouting all the way up until season. And mid-September, I located a spot that's everything we talked about. Leeward, it has the creek, it has the food source, it's got everything that you need. And I dove in there to put a camera up and I was walking across the ridge and it was like September 13th and there was a hammered rub. And I, I say rubs don't matter to me, but rubs in September matter because that buck is there right now. Yep. You know, that, that's not a, it's, you know, during the rut, if you find a rub, it could be from a month ago. Right. During September, that rub's brand new and it was just shredded. So 
I stopped at that rub, and as I stopped at that rub, on the leeward point right above me, a giant buck busted off that. So I ended up actually going up, getting in the bed. It was still warm. It had a ton of hair in it, big tracks. I saw this deer running off, and he looked huge. And uh, I was like, okay, there's a buck bedded here. He's dropping off this point into the hub. He's hitting this scrape, and he's going out to that destination food source. So I was spending a little bit of time in there, and I found an oak tree that had a little scrape underneath it that was in between his bed and that hub. And I was, and I got back in his bed and I was like, you know what? I could target that oak tree at like 80 yards and he would have no idea I'm here at all. He would have absolutely no idea that I'm here. And so that was my plan. Wait for the right wind, dive into that spot and just basically flank him. Be set up on that oak tree when he drops off his bed. And I went in that day. It was like 1130. I got set up. I, I worked my way in. It was like a mile off the road. I had a lone wolf at the time. I took forever. Anytime the, the wind would blow, anytime a squirrel would chatter, anything, I'd set a stick and I would tighten my stick down. And eventually I got up in the stand. I got my camera arm set and it didn't, it took maybe a half hour. It was actually kind of crazy. It was 95 degrees that day and there's a creek down below. And I, I believe what he was doing, he wanted to hit the oaks, go to the creek and then go back up, back up to his bed for the rest of the day. But I was already on his oak. I was in there early and already ready to go. What time so, were you set up by? I was set up at like 3 o'clock, and I shot him at like 3.30, 3.26, 330. 3.30. Holy cow, dude. So I, I just thought of a question real quick. So like when you were talking about setting sticks up, like like let's say you get one stick on, you climb up a little bit, and you're waiting. Let's say it's dead calm. Are you literally waiting in the tree until something, the wind picks up or like, are you waiting there for 10 minutes or so to get that other stick in the tree? Yes. And you have to, you have to. So all my, everything I have stealth stripped, it's as quiet as can be. You know, I'm, I'm fanatical about that because I'm so close. If I, if, if I even rub my sticks on the tree too hard and make that like rub noise, yep. that could be enough to tip that buck off at 80 yards. I mean, it, you know, I've hunted with buddies that we're setting up at the same time and I'll get set up and I can hear his sticks like grinding on the tree. That's, that's a noise that he's not used to hearing. And if it's within, you know, his safe zone at 80 yards, you're within a safe zone. Sure. He's, he's not coming down. He's not going to come down at all. So everything has to be perfect. And it really comes back to that. Wow. So you get up in the tree, get everything set you're sweating you know it's 90 some degrees a lot of guys at that point would be like why am i even hunting like does does weather not really mean anything to you at that point or is it like i'm so close i know he's got to be here i'm throwing everything at it regardless the weather yeah weather doesn't matter when you're within 100 yards i you know if you're in a rut situation or they're traveling a long distance to get to like an ag field it matters a lot more but I don't, I don't think there's a deer out there that lays in his bed until it's dark. I think, you know, generally an hour, 45 minutes, a half hour, whatever it is, he's going to get up and start moving around. And it might be 10 yards, might be 20 yards, might be 50, but that, that deer is going to move. He's not going to lay there until dark. Yep. I've, I've never seen a deer lay in his bed until dark. Okay. And Jeez. so if you're, if you're within that distance, you got him regardless of weather. And a lot of times there's things that you can put to your advantage. You know, it was 95 degrees out and that was on a North slope. It was like a North slope that had a Northeastern point jutting off it. And the reason that that spot was good as well is because the North slope shaded, but also it's, it's still 95 degrees. There's a Creek in the bottom. A lot of deer have to drink. They have to get water. So that yep. was part of my plan. That was part of my setup. So were you on a hillside then? Were you, like, or we, was it like a flat, like secondary ridge kind of thing? Yeah. So what we were talking about with the hub scrapes, remember I was telling you, you have two options. You can either know where he's bedded and get up on that hillside, or you can sit back behind the hub. Yep. I was aggressive move, got past the hub scrape and got up on his point and was waiting for him to come off of his specific point. So you were the last step before it goes down into the bottom. Yes, exactly. It was one little flat, one oak tree, and then he had to drop another probably 50 or 60 feet to get to the bottom. Okay. So if I'm picturing this right, if I'm walking up this hillside and you get to the point where you're at, 
it flattens out and then he was you thought he was at least like 80 yards or so down that flat it actually so i was on the flat and then it gets steep again so you have like these false you have like these little flats as the ridge steps down yep it almost looks like stairs so he was bedded on the step above me if that makes sense yep so it's i would almost kind of put that as like a micro secondary ridge it's not like a huge ridge but it's like a little flat like how big was that flat it was probably probably 60 yards 60 by 60 okay so it's pretty good size then yeah it's, huge. it's just no it's just the point of the ridge stepping down okay but anything. he's still physically above you though yeah yep and the 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 reason that i felt comfortable doing that with the thermal pole is i'm walking in and i have milkweed the whole time and i do this on every setup i'll throw milkweed the whole way in and the thing that i pay a lot of attention to is where are my thermals actually blowing so the way that he was bedded on that ridge you know faced kind of northeast and i had the southwest wind where it was blowing my wind and my thermals just off his bed. So by about 10 yards, I was missing his bed. Okay. Now, were you coming in from the bottom though? Yeah, yep. I came in from the thick bottom. And and that's another thing. Some bottoms are thick, some are open. All that's going to factor in to the equation on your, your entry into that stand. Yep. Okay. So if it was open, could he have seen you in the bottom? Oh yeah, 100% he would have seen me, but it was the way it steps down. He was bedded on top and it stepped once to that flat and then it stepped down to the the hub. And that Creek is pretty deep there. It's like, you know, six foot Creek. So you can walk right up it with Creek banks on both sides and then get into where you need to be. Okay. So you had bulletproof entry then really for that scenario. Yeah, it was pretty much perfect. So you get in that tree and you're set up. Can you see him or is it just like, okay, I think he's there. I got a pretty good idea. Or did you know he was there? So I always tell people this, and it's kind of funny because first off, 99% of the time I'm wrong. But in my head, every time that I go in there, the buck's bedded exactly where he should be and I'm going to kill him. And that that mentality is what keeps me so on point when I'm I'm walking in, when I'm setting up. Because if if at any time I doubt that he's there, first off, why am I even there? But second... I might slip up. Yeah. And I really, I really do believe every sit that I have, I really believe I'm killing. And like I said, a lot of times I'm wrong, but. You know, that makes sense though, because I killed my biggest buck. I killed in Iowa in 19. Um, he went 186 and he was just an old mature whitetail. The morning that I, I killed him midday on November 7th, but the morning that I killed him, he brought a doe. 80 yards to me and I, he wouldn't come any closer. She went off, he followed her and took her right up to like, it was basically, if you can picture a big CRP field with some cedars around it. Um, he took her up on this, uh, there was a pond that sat in it and it was like a pond dam. Well, there were cedars around it and we had to go that way to get out of the stand because we were. Lo- it was so cold that day, we were losing battery power and everything. So when we left, we had, I had the mentality of like, I got to know he's there. Not knowing that he, he went that way. I just, I put a scenario in my head, like he is bedded up there with that doe. And the reason why I did that is because I had to keep myself in check. You know what I mean? If I didn't do that, I felt like we might've just like walked up there and probably blew him out. And I never would have had an opportunity at him two hours later, you know? And so we walked I mean, seriously, 20 minutes around, we left the stand the complete opposite direction and walked a long way around to get out of there, did the same thing coming back, and then I shot him midday that day, and he came from that pond dam. And That's, that's th- perfect. Yeah, and so I totally get what you're saying. Like, you have to be confident. You have to have a chip on your shoulder going in there. Almost be a little cocky, like, I know he's there. Because if you don't, that's when you slip up. And it could be something so minute that cost you that deer? Yeah, 100%. You know, I look at kind of my idols, the the DeQuistos, uh, Dan Infall, Andy May, all of those guys, if you talk to them, they're all confident, almost to the point, like they're extremely confident. They yep. know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly where that deer's at. A lot of times they'll admit they're wrong too, but men- the mental game is the biggest part of this whole thing. Yeah. 
And that's, you got to believe in yourself through your scouting, through your, everything that you're doing, you have to believe you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Well, you know, and I follow those guys a lot. I mean, Andy May is probably one of the, not to say the other guys aren't either, but Andy May is in a league of his own, I believe. Like that guy is just, doesn't matter where he goes. He's just so on point with what he does. But I'll bet you if you were to ask him, and I don't, I'm not speaking for him, but he'll say like, I fail more than I succeed. But we just see the succeed because on social media and all that stuff. But the guy knows his crap. And I feel like, you know, I don't think you'll ever be, you know, you might. You could be that good. But I just feel like his his failures are probably a little bit more than his succeed. You know what I'm saying? Like, if does that make sense? Oh, yeah, 100%. So to kind of go back to that story of with that deer. So you're in the tree. You're thinking he's you're he's there, you know. So kind of walk us through the rest of how that unfolded. So really, I got my camera set up. I uh, just was taking a little bit of B-roll and filming and stuff. And I mean, I'm cold here, so I'm not moving much. I'm trying to just enjoy myself as well. You know, I'm out hunting. I'm enjoying it. It's my second set of the season, and uh, heard a stick crack. And I remember hearing that stick crack and I look up to the left and I mean, right on that trail, it was exactly on the trail. He should have been coming down. I saw just a lone deer walking down the trail and, uh, he was walking down to where I basically was, he was going to win me. And for some reason he turned just perfect and walked right to that Oak flat. That was exactly how he wanted to get to that Oak because he wanted to come in downwind of it. And I was, I mean, just off wind. And uh, it was really a matter of the wind slowing down and my thermals rising a little bit, and he had me. And so he's coming in, and I'm getting ready. I get my camera swung around, and he comes right to that oak tree and puts his head down. I drew back. He picked his head up, turned sideways, and I, I shot him at 33 yards. Holy cow. That's crazy. What day was it? It was October 2nd. Wow. 95 degrees, and you shot him basically midday. Yeah, like, yeah, it was three three thirty in the afternoon. That's crazy, man. That is unbelievable. Now, when you saw this deer, obviously he's a he's a giant. I mean, in the one eighties, right? You said one eighty six. Yeah, one eighty six. So, I mean, you knew he was big, but did you know he was that big? So I I thought he was in the sixties. He's got a sixties frame. You know, he's a, he's a twenty five point. So okay, I thought he was a mainframe ten point that was in the sixties, and I was thrilled. I was pumped. It's like, man, my first year on public in Ohio, you know, day two, it's done. And then I walked up on him, obviously, and I was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was just crazy. That's unbelievable. So did you actually, after you shot the steer and everything was done, did you actually go up and, like, try to find his bed and just try to figure that out at all? I went back there in the spring and verified. But, no, for that day I didn't because I was in that bed. I literally laid in that bed two weeks before I killed him. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's that's the bed that I was laying in. That's the bed I bumped him out of. So you think it was the same deer you bumped him out of? I do, yeah. I'm, I'm 95% sure it was him. But that area holds a ton of big bucks, so it's more than possible it was another one. Okay. Man, that's awesome. Crazy story. Like, that's just, that's the, the extra elite level things, you know, people like yourself are doing that you just don't hear of, like, you know, you're so detailed and so methodical that that's just, I love that. It gets me excited. <laughs> yeah, I get, I'm telling you, I get so fired up over it. It's crazy. <laughs> no, you're hunting a lot of, a lot of hill country. Do you hunt any flat or do you not even, you know, even experiment with that stuff? So not, I, it depends. It depends on the situation. I find more mature bucks in hill country than I do the flatlands. Okay. And I think a big reason for that, at least in Ohio, is small game pressure. The flatlands have a lot of small uh, small game pressure normally, and the deer get bumped around a lot. So I think during the rut, the flatlands would be a little bit better. Um, but when I when I travel out of state, I really enjoy like swamps and cattail marshes. That's kind of, you know, I came to Michigan this year after gun season with my bow, and we were hunting a swamp way up in northern Michigan. Okay, really. So that, yeah, that's kind of one of my one of the things I really enjoy. It it makes a lot of sense to me. The bedding makes sense. The travel patterns make sense. It's it's just the style that I like. That's cool, man. That's re- so. Were you above the bridge then? You were up in the UP. 
No, no, no. Northern Michigan to me, we were still below the bridge, but okay. we were up north. Up I, I by got the you. Yep. Yeah, I got you. That's cool. Did you have any success up there? So it was kind of cool. They had, they ended up, and you could probably explain this a little bit better, but they ended up extending the gun season up there. Yeah. Yep. Even even where we're at. So like when the CWD came through here a couple years ago, so our our normal gun season would be November fifteenth through basically the first of December for, with a rifle. Um, and then muzzleload season would start after that. Well, they changed it that year to change it. Like you could hunt with a muzzleloader if you want during muzzleload season, but you could hunt with any rifle you wanted, basically. Um, so they would extend it. So technically it's about 25 days long now, which is absolutely terrible. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so they extended a little longer because of the CWD. They, I think they figured that, you know, more people out there with guns, get them out there longer, kill more deer, CWD goes down. I don't know. I, I, it's a, it's a soft spot with me <laughs> or a yeah, sore yeah, spot. I, get it. I hate I it. Get it for sure. But, but yeah, so we did, we had some, we didn't end up killing anything, but we did get on some good bucks. Uh, I mean, we went up with our bows and I actually found out they extended the season for rifles the day we were up there. But so we did deal with hunting pressure, but a lot of those guys were, hunting like the on the piece we were on there's still a lot of just like cut fields like basically hay fields yep and then you would have the big swamp and then you would have these sandy roads that bordered the swamp and so what we did first night we drove around the sandy roads and checked all the wet footprints coming out of the swamp to see how what, how big they were yep and then from that point we're like okay footprint here you know big buck backtracked them into the swamp of on onyx of where he's going to be bedded at I threw a stab in the dark and uh, morning sit on a uh, J hook to a bed that I found on Onyx Maps, and I was 20 yards from killing like a probably a mid 90 inch seven point, which I would have been oh, all yeah, sorts dude. of fired up to kill up there. Man, I I live in the Central Michigan area, so like basically Lower Peninsula, Mitten, right in the middle, and you know that's a 90 incher on public land. That's you know that's pretty good, like. You know, that around here, I'm trying to kill a three-year-old right now still. I've killed a few of them, but not a ton. Like, it still gets me, you know, like you said, you know, you've killed in New York the 110 to 120 to 130. Like, you killed enough of those. Now you wanted to – I'm not to that point yet. I've I've killed bigger deer out of state, but Michigan, it still gets me going, like, when I see those bucks, uh, those three-year-olds, two- and three-year-olds that are, like, 115, 120. I just love chasing them. And there's not not a ton of them in my area. You know, I have a unique situation. I have two farms here. One is a one-acre farm. I literally have one one-acre patch of woods that's got a creek running through it. And I get numerous three-year-old bucks that I, I went in there and did a whole bunch of habitat improvement. And uh, I get bucks on camera bedding in this constantly in daylight. And now it's just kind of tough to hunt because um, the entry is not the greatest. But when you can dive in there, I mean, I was really close last year to shooting one of my bigger Michigan bucks in a one acre timber. It was really cool. That's awesome, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So it's, I, you know, I have one farm, it's an all ag country and another farm that's big woods and it's kind of rolling hills. And, uh, but the, the pressure is, you know, everybody says the pressure is a lot. The pressure is a lot. We have 10 guys that hunt 218 acres, you know, so that's, it's a lot. <laughs> and, uh, not every guy has the same mentality that, you know, that I would have, or, you know, there's a couple of us that are on the same page that want to do the same thing, but then you got other guys that are like, they're just happy to be there, you know, and just the camaraderie, which is fine, but nothing will, you know, ever change until everybody changes. So it's kind of one of those things that give and take a little bit. Oh yeah. 100%. And, and then, you know, setting realistic expectations too, obviously. I mean, if you're, you know, being from New York, you're from Michigan, expectations are way different than Ohio. And for sure, you know, that's, you gotta, you gotta stay in your own lane and kind of, kind of just set your own goals and do your own thing. And that's really important. I mean, I will never pass up a three-year-old buck in New York. I don't think I'll ever pass up a three-year-old. Yeah. I'm the same way, you know, here in Michigan, I always tell myself like three-year-old buck here in Michigan, it is, that's what I'm going for. Regardless antler size. Now I don't want to kill anything like I'll say below a hundred inches. I don't want to do that. That's just my goal. But when I go out of state, it's, it's funny when I go out of state, I do a lot out of state hunting. I don't even grab my bow for a three-year-old. You know what I mean? It's like, 
a three-year-old Pope and young doesn't even really get me excited out, out of state. I don't know why that is, <laughs> but it's just, yeah, you know, that's I where agree. I'm at. But well, cool, man. I, you know, we're at time right now. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. This was a lot of information, a lot. <laughs> and, uh, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, spilling your, spilling your guts basically. Yeah. 100% man. I'll, uh, anytime you want me on, I'll, I'll gladly come back. It's yeah. Awesome. I'm for sure going to have you on again. Now, if anybody wants to see the stuff that you're filming or the big deer, you know, that you've been killing, where can they go to see all that? Yep. So my Instagram is Jake Bush solo. Uh, you can find me on Facebook just at Jake Bush, or you can check us out on YouTube at legends of the hunt. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again. And, uh, good luck this fall for sure, man. Yeah. Thanks Aaron. I appreciate it. And there you have it. Another great episode. Uh, thank you to Jake Bush for coming on and doing this. Greatly appreciated, man. Um, so much information in this podcast. I can't thank Jake enough for coming on and just spilling his guts and and uh, kind of making all us better deer hunters. So, deer hunters, man, I through this whole thing, I just cannot talk. Anyway, thank you guys very much. Like I said before earlier in the podcast, go to IamHumanimal.com and enter the giveaway, the loophole giveaway. It goes till Sunday. So enter it now. Go in there now. Do it right now. Also, go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating in the podcast, and leave a review. Thank you guys very much, and we'll see you here next week on the Fall Podcast.